days and we will be finished. Uh, I'm going to give a disclaimer at the head of this sermon. At Callaway Baptist Church, we practice what's called or known as expositional or expository preaching, which basically means, that big word means, we try to make the point of the scripture, whatever text we're in, the point of the sermon. Does that make sense? Right, very, very complicated, uh, right? So it's actually, it is a little more complicated sometimes than it sounds. In other words, I'm not trying to tell you as a pastor what maybe I'm feeling today or maybe how I think I should tell you, but I just want to preach the Word of God, right? Sola Scriptura, right? I just want to give you God's Word because His Word alone has life. My Word, what does my words have? Nothing, nothing worth hearing on a Sunday morning anyways. God's Word, everything, everything. So this is what we try to do. And in the process of this, we come across passages that normally are either avoided or not addressed on a Sunday morning. So it kind of forces the preacher to be honest with the text, which means I don't get to shy away from things that maybe... I don't want to talk about this, or I don't, also, I don't get to just ride something I want to be on because that's what I want to talk about. We don't have that liberty. I have to speak God's word and God's word alone. Now, why do I say that this morning? One of the reasons, because I'm going to address, and it's going to feel a little awkward for a pastor about how you need to honor your pastors. (laughs) You see, all right, you can see the, the, the tension here. I'm also going to address pay, how you should pay and honor your pastors that way, all right? So I want to put this disclaimer out first. Uh, by no means am I trying to uh, scold anybody in particular, all right, as if our church has this big problem with not honoring her pastors. By no means am I trying to get a raise, all right? That's not what I'm after this morning, so you can put your pocketbooks away, all right? The check, just shred it, void, okay? That's not what I'm going after here. I'm just trying to be a faithful steward of the Word of God, okay? And so this is what it says, so I have to tell you what it says. Imagine how awkward this would have been for young Timothy, to read to his church of Ephesian elders present, many of whom were disqualified from ministry. Imagine how awkward that would have been. Yes, so I join a long line of servants of the Lord who speak awkward things at times to be faithful to God. Our context, as uh, Uncle Bill mentioned, uh, Paul has been dealing with false teachers from chapter 1. Right, right from the beginning, chapter 1, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, or those who are teaching or speaking false things that are destroying the body, those who have made a shipwreck of their faith. You see chapter 2, uh, women apparently were trying to usurp or stand in the position of authority that they ought not to have had. You see chapter 3, Paul turned his attention to deal with the character, the godliness of the man that is to be a pastor. You go into chapter 4 and he returns to false teaching and how those who teach, um, you know, you can abstain from food and drink and marriage and that's the way to godliness. And Paul says, God forbid, God created all things to be received with thanksgiving and prayer and it is made holy to God through the sacrifice of Christ. And, And he's going on and on and on and on and on. Then he turns his attention to young Timothy in chapter 4 midway through says, Timothy, discipline yourself for godliness, right? Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, directly. Then he turns his attention away from Timothy to the body. 
Timothy, this is how I want you to address older men, older women, younger men, younger women. This is how I want you to care for widows, honor the widows who are truly widows. At the end of that section, we didn't cover too much of it for time's sake last week, he starts talking about how some widows in the church were actually destroying the church by gossiping, by saying things from house to house that they should not. And he corrects them for this. And then he turns his attention to the elders again, to the leadership in the church. I think as we walk through this, we're going to find that this gives us a great deal of instruction and things to consider in our own day of how are we to honor and hold accountable those who lead. Let's pray. Father, I pray that it would be true this morning that corporately at Kahului Baptist Church, at all the churches across the island, wherever they gather, whatever their size, that we can truly say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, would, would Christ be our righteousness this morning? Would you be the anchor of our soul when the night is dark and the waves are high? Would we cling to Christ by faith? And we thank you for your kingly rule that you rule and reign over all things right now and that you've reigned over the church as the manifold wisdom and power of God to this world. We thank you for blessing your church with uh, apostles, teachers, preachers, shepherds, and many other spiritual gifts, Lord. We thank you for these, for the good of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. May you build them this morning. And may the gates of hell not prevail. And Lord, we specially lift up now our community, Maui, Wailuku, as we, many are still across this uh, central area and throughout grieving the gruesome murder of a young lady in Foodland. Lord, I lift up that family who is suffering from losing their daughter. We pray that you would comfort them. We pray that you would send uh, ambassadors of Christ around them to proclaim the hope of the gospel to them in their time of suffering. We also lift up the brave men who attempted to stop this evil. We thank you that your image on man has acted on us such that we respond to evil when we see it. We praise you for this, Lord. We pray that you would heal them, that they would recover quickly, and more than anything, that they would cling to Christ in this time. Lord, I pray for all those who saw this traumatic event and who are still affected by it. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, if they are believers, that they would wholly trust in your loving, fatherly care that death is not our enemy. They have been defanged by the resurrection of Christ. We lift up uh, those servants who are ministering to them. May you give them grace and words of truth to speak that would comfort them in this time. In all these things, we ask that what is meant for evil, that you would bring for good for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Four points. Four points. Number one, double honor. Double honor. Number two, dual witnesses. Dual witnesses. Number three, a divine directive. And number four, don't rush. Don't rush. So number one, double Honor. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 
Notice what he says, right? Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So I want to note a few things. Number one, notice the plurality present. Notice the plurality. Let the elders, plural, plural. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those. Again, plurality. I want to note that plurality. Why? Is that the main point of this text? No, but is a big point of concern for our church, especially as we speak about in this upcoming business meeting, which I hope all of members can attend, uh, transitioning our church from a single-led pastoral structure, myself namely, to a plurality of godly men that the Lord has gifted to the church and called to ministry. This is important that we would reflect in our church structures those teachings of Scripture. Amen? Amen? Amen. This is important. See, Paul knows, like we all know, leadership matters. Leadership matters. We can take two errors, actually a lot of them, but two kind of we tend to vacillate on. One is not honoring our leaders, not respecting them. Any organization, uh, leadership structure in which those below do not honor those above, whether military, small business, family unit structures, which those below do not honor those above, it will collapse on itself. It will. It cannot function. It will stagnate. On the flip side, you can go to honoring the leaders too much, even such that when they sin, they are not corrected for it. They get exemptions. We can make two errors. Paul knows this and tells Timothy, don't fall on either one of these. That's going to be kind of the, the overarching scope here. Walk that balance of the Christian life, the narrow path. On this side, you can fall down, and on this side, you can fall down. Don't fall in either case. Don't fall. So he tells them, consider those who rule well, your leaders, pastors, elders, worthy of double honor. Double honor. Why? Why that? And what is it? What is this double honor and why are they do it? This idea of double honor carries with it two ideas. The double pay? Maybe I would like to, yeah, double pay, that's what it means. It means I get twice as much, right? No, that's not what it means, right? It has a, the double idea of respect and remuneration, right? So not just honor in the sense of revere them, honor them, but let that honor and respect overflow in how you treat and act them one way, namely by paying them, by paying them. He gives, he's going to quote two authorities to back this up. Two authorities Paul's going to quote to back up this idea that you should respect them, count them worthy of double honor, and pay them. The first authority is in verse 18. For the scripture says, that's Deuteronomy chapter 25, 4, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Deuteronomy 25, who is that? Moses. Moses. That's the first authority. Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That seems kind of like an obscure uh, passage to back up your statement, right? Count them worthy of double honor 
for you shall not muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain. <laughs> what? What is this? All right, the idea back in that day is that, and you can imagine this, if you're a farmer or something, the ox would come and thresh on the floor and, and tread out the grain and do the hard work for you, and you might not want that ox eating your food. And so what are you going to do? You're going to muzzle him so he can't take any bites. But that's cruel. That's cruel. It's cruel to do because as they're treading it out, they're going to smell it and they're going to want to do what we do when we're hungry and they're going to want to eat that bad boy, right? They're going to want to eat that. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't muzzle the ox. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, do you think it's for oxen that God is concerned? You think God just cares about the oxen, that that's why he put that into the law? No. Was it not written for our sakes? And he goes on and he says, does a soldier go off to war and pay for himself? Does a farmer plant a vineyard and not eat any of the fruits? No. And he's saying in all these things, building his case, yes, those who work and give their lives for the gospel have a right to make a living by the gospel. And he quotes Moses to back that up. Then he's going to quote number two, who? Jesus. That's who he's going to quote. Number two, he goes on, and the laborer deserves his wages. That's from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verse 7. It's also very interesting. We could talk about scripture, but it's likely that Luke, the gospel, was not even written by the time this letter was written, that it was likely from a source of collections of sayings of Christ that later were put in, and Luke contributed and, and compiled, and Paul, of course, knew about because Luke and Paul were companions. That's another study for another time. Very interesting that Paul quotes the words of Jesus and the words of Moses as authoritative scripture. You ever doubt the words of God? You doubt the gospels that maybe they're corrupt, maybe they're, they're twisted, that they're just men put these things together? Mm -mm. Paul didn't think so. No Christian, no church throughout ever history has seriously entertained that thought. The words of Jesus are the words of God. Double honor, double honor, respect and remuneration. It is biblical to pay those who give their lives to the service of Christ. He says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Those who labor in preaching and teaching. I get this a lot. I get this a lot, a lot. Man, it must be so nice to be a pastor. I mean, don't you work like one day a week, right? That's, that's all you do, right? You just show up and, and preach and teach, and it's just got to be easy, right? And then what do you do the rest of the day? You just like sit and read? Man, it'd be so nice. One hour of reading, right? <laughs> it's got to be so nice to be a pastor. I wish I could be a pastor, right? You may think or have thought. I encourage you, make no mistake. Notice his words, especially those who, next word, labor. Labor in preaching and teaching. Make no mistake, beloved, and listen up, those who aspire to ministry one day full-time or in any capacity. The pastorate is work, laborious work. If you desire the pastorate, if you look at the pastorate and you think, man, that must be easy compared to what I'm doing, rest assured, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. The work can be laborious, difficult, draining, and unending. Why unending? Because our struggle and battle with sin is unending until Christ returns. That's why. Why is it difficult? 
Because our desire to see men and women delivered from the bonds of sin and set free by the power of the gospel is unending. The burden is there. Jude, in the book of Jude, describes it as saving men out of the fire, pulling them from the fire. And guess what happens to firemen? Sometimes they get burned. It's difficult. It can be difficult at times. And it can be utterly joyful can be exceedingly joyful when you pursue that straying sheep and you find them and you catch them and you bring them back to the fold and there's a party. It can be exceedingly rejoiceful, rejoicing and joyful. So it's hard work. It's hard work. When you see someone doing it, tell them thank you. Some of you are visiting from churches. Maybe you're here on vacation. I'm not your pastor. You have a pastor at home. Tell them thank you. Write them a a note of appreciation, encourage them, pray for them, and just love on them. And I would say this goes even for Sunday school teachers, those who lead Bible studies. You can count on it that if they're faithful, they have likely spent hours reading and reading and rereading the Word of God and comparing Scripture to Scripture. Encourage these and love and esteem them highly. And I also encourage you, don't think that Paul only had Sunday morning sermons in mind. Some people have a very narrow view of the pastoral ministry, as if, because I only work one day a week, this is all pastors do. But please know, there are many other times of teaching and preaching. Formal counseling, meetings with members for informal encouragement, ministry of prayer, member orientations, marital counseling, premarital counseling, Wednesday night services, various types of trainings, counseling ministries of all types, training up future pastors, one-on-one discipleship, and much, much, much more. That's just the discipling work. That's not even talking about the oversight work. So please, I'd encourage you, honor your pastors, whoever they may be, or who they have been. Encourage them in the Lord for this, and thank God for them. And so I ask, one, do you respect your pastors? Do you honor them? Do you love them in the Lord? Do you pay your pastors? Now, I can gladly say, I can gladly say that our congregation has done both. I can say that, and I'm not even like pastors just trying to like get some brownie points up here. No, 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 no. I mean this from my heart. I feel so honored, and I just want to thank you. You guys are applying this. I feel so blessed. You guys pay me, and I am totally well cared for. Thank you. You guys constantly want to pay me more, and I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So I just want to thank you guys. Praise God. That is a sign that the Spirit is at work in this church. Believe it or not, some of you newer members may not know this, but my history research of our church has revealed a few things. One is that our church in its history was known as a pastor killer. Did you know that? There was a season of about 10 years that there was on average, maybe longer, I I believe it was actually longer, but I'm just going to go conservative so I'm not wrong, at least 10 years that we had a pastor every other year, a new one. That is not healthy. That is not good. That kills and stagnates in ministry. Our church, in its history, was known as a pastor killer. By the grace of God, I believe that day is no more and will never come back again. Amen. Amen. And not only will we be known not as a pastor killer, but as a pastor maker. 
as a place in which the word goes forth and grows up from within godly men who are gifted and trained and mighty in the scriptures. Let that be the testimony of Kahului Baptist Church. And it is by the grace of God and will continue to be. So, double honor, double honor. Number two, number two, dual witnesses. Dual witnesses. This flows into his next section where he talks about, okay, so honor and respect your leaders. Don't fall in and not honoring them, but don't go to the other side when sin is present and not deal with it either just because they are your leaders. You see, so this is where he goes in verse 18. Sorry, verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand and fear. And so he goes on to say, and Siri just activated when I said that. Siri, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Interrupting my sermons, all right? He goes on to say, do not admit or accept an accusation of wrongdoing or sin or charge against an elder without two or three witnesses. Without two or three witnesses. This fulfills a few functions. One, this is just a common law procedure. You can find this also in the book of Deuteronomy. In other words, false allegations should not be gaining traction because you need two or three witnesses. Believe it or not, believe it or not, this is going to be hard for you guys to believe. I know I've told you this before, but you're shocked and you don't believe me every time. You know Christians do bad things sometimes? If you guys laugh, you don't believe me. You don't believe me? No. Christians do bad things sometimes. Paul knows his Bible. He knows the story of Aaron and Miriam. He knows about the sons of Korah and the rebellion. He knows his scriptures. He knows even more than that. He knows that Jesus Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. The long-awaited king, the king of glory, they persecuted and crucified and nailed to a tree. The people of God do not have a good track history. Paul knows the scriptures, and he says, do not entertain an accusation or charge except with two or three witnesses. Sometimes, for a pastor to honor God, he must displease men. A.W. Tozer said this, and I quote, to be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. And when men are displeased, there is no end of things to the charges against those whom they are displeased with will come. So while we can't totally eliminate false charges, they can be guarded against. The other side of this is when an elder does actually sin, when the charge is actually substantiated, Paul is really just encouraging back with the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. Elders are not exempt from church discipline. I don't get a sin card, all right? I don't get a, a get out of sin card for free, right? I have to be held accountable to the word of God and to the body of Christ. And when that time happens, I walk through the process of church discipline like anybody else. First one-on-one, -on -one, one or two others with them, then the body, and so on and so forth. But and the hope is that they will repent and walk in humility and that's where the next verse comes in. Those who persist, as for those who persist, verse 20, because there will be those who don't persist. There will be those who respond to the leading of the Spirit and the correction in turn. But those who persist should be rebuked in the presence 
of all and taken the necessary consequences accordingly. So, unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin should never be tolerated in the life of the church or in the life of her church leaders. Now, who's responsible for this? Guess who? Not me. You. You. If, by God's grace, we go on to have a plurality of elders, who will be in charge of appointing them? I'm going to get ahead of myself here. You guys will. And who will be in charge of holding them accountable? The body. The body. Number two, dual witnesses. Number three, a divine directive. Check this out, verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels... I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Oh. Do you get much more of a divine command than that? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge. Whoa. Whew. Some people get stuck on elect angels. They're like, what is that? I'm stuck on in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Oh, there is this divine directive. Please know and know if you aspire to ministry in some kind that we will, I will answer before the living God. So if you don't like what I'm doing, if you think it's bad or you're upset or frustrated, please know I will answer to God. For everything, pastors will answer to God for how they conduct the affairs of his church. His church. That is a weighty, weighty task. Imagine that was on, on your uh, job interview wherever you work, right? Hey, we want you to be a part of the team. Congratulations, you're hired. By the way, evaluations are done at the end. And who will be evaluating your work? Yep, God. God. You're like, well, he's gracious. He's also just, Whew. okay, okay, cool. I'm going to work really hard then, right? That is a weighty, weighty task, and he gives him this divine directive. Keep these. Do not show partiality or prejudging. And then number four, don't rush it. Don't rush it. You can imagine the scenario. There's elders, there's false teachers who have crept into the church in Ephesus. Some of them may have to be removed and likely will have to be removed. You can imagine young Timothy kind of fretting. Uh, maybe we should appoint somebody else to take their place because we're, we're running with three wheels now instead of four. We need somebody. Let's just put them in there and fill the slot. Paul says, no, no, no. Don't be tempted to go fast and furious, Timothy. Don't ordain another to take the place too quickly. Don't be hasty with this because you can actually create more problems than you solve. I think at the very least, Paul's instructions to Timothy mean we as a church, here's some application, means we as a church should take a posture of filling church ministries, right? So this should be our posture of filling church ministries based on scriptural integrity rather than availability or ability. You tracking with me? The goal and how we fill positions in ministry is not just, hey, are you available? Let's do it. We've done this before in the past, and understandably so. But we can create more problems than it solves. 
We're looking for biblical character and integrity. That should be our guide, and we should not be hasty in doing this. So don't rush through this process. Exercise discernment. Why? Why? Paul goes on to say, verse 22, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. You see that? Nor take part in the sins of others. Whoever we lay hands on and appoint as leaders in ministry, who's responsible for that ministry in some regard? We are. You remember 2 John? He says of false teachers who are going about, don't even greet them. That's kind of a harsh thing. We'll talk about what that means later. But he's like, don't even greet them lest you take part in their works. So if greeting false teachers and blessing them and being hospitable to them is to take part in their works, how much more to lay hands on and ordain somebody for the work of the ministry is a taking part in the sin of others. This is a weighty, weighty thing. And Paul says, keep yourself pure, Timothy. Keep yourself pure, church in Ephesus. Keep yourself pure, Kahalui. Verse 23, Paul uh, goes on, and he takes this little side reference, and he tells Timothy, this is some of your favorite passage, right? No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach, right? And your frequent ailments, right? Some of you are like, yes, I can drink to the glory of God. Yes, yes, you can. This is why, one of the reasons why is, remember, those false teachers were saying that godliness means abstaining from certain things, whether it be marriage or certain foods. And it sounds like Timothy's kind of taken, been influenced by this a little bit. And so Paul says, keep yourself pure, but that doesn't mean you can't drink a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach, all right? Now, he's not going and saying, be a drunkard, Timothy, all right? He's not saying that either. There was one time not so long ago, I was just really, really sick, all right? And you guys might get mad at me. This might get me in trouble here, all right? I was really, really sick. Like, I was miserable. I tried medicines of all kinds, and people told me to do this. You'll feel better, and nothing seemed to help. And then somebody said, drink some whiskey. I don't drink normally. I don't like whiskey. I don't like alcohol. They say, drink a little bit of whiskey, I tried everything else. I was miserable. Dr. Daniels did the trick. Dr. Daniels did it. Man, I did it. I had a little bit, just a little bit. I didn't like down anything. I felt much better. Praise God. A little bit of green tea, some honey. Man, I was set. I was good. Praise God. Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Godliness is not found in necessarily what we abstain from or indulge in, but in our position before God in Christ. And he goes, verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous. That means obvious, by the way. So you guys are like, what's conspicuous? It means obvious. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. Some people's sins are so blatant that everybody around them knows it. Right? It's just obvious. It may not be obvious to them, but everybody else can see how obvious and how painful and how blatant this sin is, such that there's no question what God's going to judge in that last day on this person. Some men's some men sins are conspicuous. Do you know anybody like this? Anybody like this who's like, okay, I'm not going to drink a little bit of wine for the sake of my stomach. I'm going to drink the whole bottle. You're like, dude, that's messed up. It is messed up. It's dangerous. 
Some men's sins are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. Others appear later. That means others will trail behind. Some sins aren't so conspicuous or obvious. Pride is one of those. Isn't pride really just the root of all those other sins, right? Pride has many daughters, jealousy, envy, strife, deceit, contention, right? All of these things, some sins are a little bit harder to tell. Greed, contentment or discontentment, they're more subtle and more difficult to discern. And Paul says, even those, even those sins will be revealed in time. Even those will be revealed in time. And notice this, it's not merely when you're looking at a pastoral candidate, right? Because this is what the context is in the context of pastors. When you're looking at somebody who's going to be an elder, it's not merely the absence of a bad reputation. It's not as if, well, they don't have a bad reputation, so they must be good. It's not merely the absence of a bad reputation. That is no evidence of true godliness. Theologian Charles Simeon said it like this, It is no uncommon thing for men to stand well both in their own eyes and in the estimation of others, get this, and yet be hateful in the sight of the heart-searching God. End quote. He said, it's a very common thing for men to look at themselves and say, I'm a pretty good guy. For other people to look at them and say, that's a pretty good guy. And yet, in the sight of the heart, searching God to be hateful and despicable. If this is you, beloved, know this, judgment is coming. And if this is you, atonement has been made. Repent and believe in the gospel. Walk in the light as children of the light. As Pastor Jim preached on Thursday, be imitators of God as beloved children is the invitation of every single one of you. Come, come to Christ this morning. Don't wait for that last day when all things will be revealed. If that's the way evil deeds are, Paul says, likewise, good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not can remain hidden. You see, so not only some evil is blatant, but some good is just so blatant. There are some people, you know these people, I'm sure every one of you knows people like this, who are just so holy that their, their love of God just radiates from them. You can just see it, right? You can tell that they love the Lord Jesus. Their good works, they're not trying to flaunt it. They just overflow with love and good deeds in Christ. Praise God for people like this. Praise God. And yet there are others who may not have that type of radiating holiness coming from them, but their good works are still good nonetheless. They're not immediately obvious, but you don't see their hours weeping in prayer over the nations and over the church. You just don't see it, but it's real. It's real. Those men, too, are godly. We need both. We need both. In closing... KBC, Kaluuya Baptist Church. A few things to consider. Really cool things that you guys get to partake in. One day, as the Lord wills and in his timing, I will ask you to nominate and put forward men and vote on establishing elders. One day. Not next Sunday, don't worry. One day, that will be your role, to pray over, to nominate, and vote on the establishing of elders. In that day, and right now, make sure that you give proper care to that. Look at 1 Timothy 3, 
Titus 1, and all the qualifications, these men will be men that you will want to honor, to give that double honor to, and to submit to through the Word of God. These men will be examined, tested, and by God's grace, we will lay our hands on them and joyfully appoint them for the work of the ministry in the gospel of Christ. The scriptures say that the Lord Jesus Christ, through his blood and resurrection, gives pastors and elders to churches to equip the body, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You realize that? That is a gift purchased with the blood of Christ, and he's given it to the church. May they be given double honor and due respect. And last, why? It's a big question. Why go through all of this work? Why examine men? Why pray and spend hours? Why nominate them? 1 Timothy 4.10 Why do we toil and labor? Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is a Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Why? Because we want to see the gospel go forth in power. We want to see people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that is worth laboring for. Next week, we jump into the final chapter, chapter 6. I encourage you all to come. I think you will be very, very blessed and encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you that Kahalui Baptist Church, that you are working in them such that they are a church that, that truly honors those who labor in preaching and teaching, that they love them and, and show this in all ways. I also pray that we would be a church that grows in holiness, that grows in godliness, that grows in grace and mercy and forgiveness, Lord. And I also ask that this would be a place that sinners, repentant sinners, and the Lord Jesus Christ can come and find healing and forgiveness in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.